And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Brent Clanton driving our Link Challenge bus this morning, of course. As the day approaches, right, this morning, 7.30 this morning, the big number, right, CPI. All eyes are on CPI this morning. Inflation, did it go down? That's the big question. Of course, lower gas prices at the pump over the last month or so. Oil prices coming down. Uh, we're starting to see, uh, you know, a lot of the kind of price data inside of some of these manufacturing surveys, et cetera, is starting to come down as well. So again, kind of all evidence points right now to lower inflation prices, right? Lower inflation uh, across the board that should feed into CPI. Expectations this morning are kind of really all over the board, depending on, you know, kind of what you know, who you're looking at, whether it's Morgan Stanley or B of A of Goldman Sachs. Morgan Stanley expecting a negative print this morning on CPI on a month-over-month basis. So, you know, what does that mean? And, of course, the big question really comes down to housing, right? Housing and, of course, the what's calculated as the homeowner's equivalent rent. Now, we're seeing home prices come down, but that takes a little bit of time to feed into uh, the CPI data. So there is some risk this morning that CPI may not have cooled as much as people expect. Homeowners equivalent rent makes up about 42% of CPI. Energy makes up about 3%. So it's just not, you know, uh, falling oil and gas prices don't have a huge impact to CPI. But we'll see this morning. This is kind of the big thing. Markets are rallying pretty sharply this morning. Dow's up about 300 points already uh, in anticipation of this lower print. Now, why is this so important, right? We've talked about over the last couple of months, this whole idea of, you know, this cooler inflation, right? Peak inflation, probably saw that back in June, July. That was probably the peak of that, you know, monetary driven stimulus uh, inflation because all that money that people had to go out and spend, well, they spent it and, and now that's, you know, that's behind us. So now the question becomes, you know, what happens next in a lot of these cases? Um, markets rallied here over the last four days, getting above really important resistance. We broke above the 50-day, the 100-day moving average. Now yesterday, moving above the 20-day moving average. So again, this has just been a very torrid advance here over the last couple of days. Um, lots of short covering, driving stock prices higher, seeing that really across the board. And, you know, again, when we start taking a look at some of our sub indicators, some of our technical indicators that suggest buys or sells uh, very close today, we will likely trigger that very important MACD buy signal, which would suggest potentially higher prices here in the markets, at least short term. Um, you know, markets are starting to move back up towards overbought levels, not there just yet. That's going to be likely closer to somewhere getting back towards that 200-day moving average. So, again, somewhere around that 4,200 level, 4,250, that's a very real possibility right now for the markets. Now, the question, of course, will be what happens after that. You know, right, we've got this nice rally. It's all going fine and dandy at this moment. All expectations are on this lower CPI print. Why is this so important, of course? The idea is that if the 
CPI starts to decline rather sharply, the Fed may become less aggressive about hiking interest rates, right? And, and this has been kind of the whole idea over the last couple of months. You know, the Fed's going to pivot. Fed's going to pivot. And, and we had rallied back to the 200-day moving average in, in August on this whole idea the Fed was going to pivot. And then they came out at their meeting and said, nah, we're not going to pivot. And markets sold off pretty sharply, got down, you know, kind of broke all these moving averages, got back down below the 50-day moving average. And then over the last four days have been rallying on this idea that, well, cooler inflation, maybe the Fed will pivot, right? So we're back to that same story again. The Fed has now given no real indication. Um, all the Fed members, all the Fed speakers have been coming out and saying, hey, you know what? We're focused on inflation. We're going to hike rates until we get inflation back down to more manageable levels. And that's and for them, that's that 2% target, maybe three, somewhere in there. Now, will the Fed eventually slow their pace of rate hikes? Of course they will, right? You know, they're going to hike at 75 basis points theoretically at the end of this month. And probably next month it'll be 50 and then maybe another 50, then maybe a quarter after that. So the pace of the rate hikes will definitely slow down, right? And if the, and if the Fed's target is to get to 4% or 4.5% on the Fed funds rate, well, you know, 75 basis points will be at 3 and then another couple of meetings at 50 basis points were at four, and then another one at 25 or four and a quarter. So, I mean, the pace of the rate hikes will slow for sure. That will absolutely happen. The, the important thing is whether or not the economy and more importantly, you know, the underlying economic activity that drives the revenues for companies can withstand three and a half or four or four and a half percent, you know, a Fed funds rate, which is also going to drive other borrowing costs in the markets higher this is going to be the challenge, right? So, I mean, while everybody's getting all excited over this Fed pivot, there's two things that should be remembered about this. First of all, the Fed is going to hike rates until they deem that they have done something with inflation, you know, whatever it is. The thing that will drive them off of those rate hikes won't be really a cooling of inflation. It's going to be either a sign of credit stress in the markets, uh, what we call financial stress, or it'll be spiking unemployment, right? And so we start to see all of a sudden companies contracting, starting to lay off employees, starting to really rein in their horns because that'll be a function, of course, of consumer spending really dropping and the, re and, and the recognition that we're probably in a recession. And, and when you get into that environment, that's where the Fed's gonna say, okay, hey, we're gonna stop hiking rates. Now that still doesn't mean anything good for the markets because at that point, well, you know, you're in a recession, earnings are going to be coming down rather sharply. Markets don't like that, and we're still pretty overvalued relative to, to valuations at these levels. So really the environment you're looking for to be heavily long stocks is when the Fed is aggressively cutting rates, right, and then starting to QE. And see, there's no indication of that right now. So markets may be a little bit ahead of themselves currently right now with this nice little rally. But again, markets have gotten oversold. We had talked about negative sentiment. And, and again, when we get these types of, of environments, we have a lot of negative sentiment, a lot of negative positioning. You get these counter trend rallies in the markets. Now, you know, this is where it becomes confusing. Got an email yesterday. You know, we're talking about, you know, all these kind of, of more bearish dynamics for the markets. You know, the Federal Reserve tightening policy, economy slowing down, potential recession next year. Obviously, not a good environment for stocks. But yet, we're talking about here near term, 
got this nice rally going. We've got buy signals, want to have some money invested. In fact, we increased a little bit of equity exposure yesterday in our portfolio. So, you know, that's a real, that's a real dichotomy, right? What do I do as an investor? That's the question. On one hand, you're saying buy. One hand, you're saying, you know, sell and take profits. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the way the market is right now. It's very confusing. In the short term, in the short term, this is a tradable rally. Now, if you're a longer-term investor looking to buy and hold investments, might want to be a little bit more cautious because, hold a little bit more cash, because, again, the Fed is hiking rates, we are tightening policy, and we are probably heading into a recession next year. So, you know, there's, there's time frames relative to your portfolio. When we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about this, you know, this kind of, you know, duration matching, so to speak, within your portfolio and, and, and how to try to navigate short-term outlooks versus longer term investment parameters. We'll talk about that. Be sure you're by the website. Our latest blog post is out right now talking about the deficit reduction. Joe Biden claiming that he has reduced the deficit. Did he really do that? That's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time, and for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham, Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, just for the break, talking a little bit about this, you know, dichotomy between, you know, a bullish short-term view and a little bit more bearish longer-term view. And I know that's confusing, right, for investors. Like, well, what do I do? I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I, I you know, want to invest, but I really don't understand. You know, you're, you're talking about on one hand, you're talking about, you know, trading this rally, but you're saying longer-term you know, you know, watch out for the risk and, you know, potentially have some more cash on hand. And, and yeah, that's that's markets. Everything has time frames to it. And, you know, we have to remember that when we're investing and, and that nothing's just a clear stick your money in the markets and, you know, forget about it type attitude. I thought it was interesting this morning. Um, Yahoo Finance had put out a, a piece talking about investing in the markets. Now, you know, there's this, you know, school of thought that you just kind of buy and hold and, and don't worry about things over time. And, you know, for instance, right, 25 years ago, your crystal ball reveals a Russian debt default, long-term capital management failing, dot-com implosion, 9-11 attacks, financial crisis, the Great Recession in 2008, a pandemic, and three market crashes. 
Would you put your money into stocks if you knew that was the case? If you knew those events were going to come 25 years ago, would you put your money into the markets? Well, you know, most people would say, well, no, of course not. But then they show you a chart that, wow, you would have missed all this, you know, great advance in the markets. What they don't tell you is that 25 years ago, that's fine. If you were 25 years old, stuck your money in the market, yeah, you'd be okay. But what if you were 45 at the time, right? Or what if you were 55 at the time? And what if I told you that you stuck your money in the market in 1995 and you made some money from 1995 to 2000 and then you went nowhere for the next 14 years? And then you made some money at the end. You know, the, the problem is, is about timing and duration and how much time do you have. And for most people, right, these, and the, like there's another chart that they pulled out. They always pull this chart out, right? Looking at the markets going all the way back to 1900. And they say, well, you know, during that time frame, you had World War I, World War II, the energy crisis, blah, blah, blah. And you have all these crises. And yet the markets have always advanced over time. If you just invested in 1900, you'd have all this money. The problem is you're dead, right? I mean, you don't live that long. And more importantly, you get to the point to where you need your money sooner than later. And so, yeah, if you're young, absolutely just go stick your money don't worry about any of this stuff going on i mean if i was 25 years old right now i'd just be piling everything into an s p index fund and not worrying about it because i got plenty of time that makes that's fine there's nothing wrong with that if you're 55 or if you're 50 and you've got 15 years to retirement it's a different story let's go back to the 1995 example i'm 50 years old in 1995 pile my money into the S&P. I do great for five years. And then I go nowhere for the next 14 and I've retired. I don't have any money for retirement. And here's a great example of this. And in fact, I'm writing an article about this um, got coming out here soon. You know, talking about this very issue. You know, it sounds easy to simply just say, oh, stick your money in the markets. Don't worry about it. But the problem is, is when you get into these periods where, A, markets go nowhere for a long time, and we may have entered into one of those periods, and B, the psychological and behavioral issues that lead us to make really bad investment decisions over time. And uh, the article I've got coming out is talking about, after three bull markets, why are 80% of Americans still broke? Because investing doesn't work the way that you think it does because of all these other inherent issues that come along from when you started, valuations when you started, time frames, and making mistakes. So you got to be careful with this stuff. It's, you know, these super bullish articles that are just like, oh, don't worry about the dips. Just, you know, expect those to come along. You'll be fine and, and fine and dandy. But again, it depends. How old were you when you, when you started? You know, there's, there's, a, there's another great article that comes out every now and then by the same group of people talking about, well, if, if Bob had just invested at the peak of every market and held, he would have made money. 
that's also a true statement. But assuming that Bob had, you know, 50 years to live, that worked out. If Bob needed his, if Bob invested at the peak of the market in 2007 and was five years from retirement, it didn't work out well. And so these are always kind of important considerations is where are you relative to your goals? And how do you navigate that market risk? And again, so this is why, you know, we go back and we talk about managing risk and, and, and these type of things. Look, there's opportunities in the markets all the time. So if I can invest in the market in the short term and make some money, great. But I also have to be aware of that longer term dynamic. So that's where this confusing kind of outlook comes in. It's like, hey, short term bullish, long term bearish. That's just the way the market is right now. We're not in an environment where it's short-term bullish, long-term bullish. We'll get there. We're just not there right now, right? When we get there, the Fed, you know, the Fed rate will be back at zero. The Fed will be doing, you know, $250 billion of QE every month. We'll be back to long-term bullish. But right now we're not there. The Fed's doing just the opposite. And that's also kind of a sad statement to make is that, you know, we're no longer looking at markets in terms of valuations or fundamentals or, you know, things that are important. We're looking at whether or not the Fed is doing QE or not. Is the Fed hiking rates or not? All that matters now is what the monetary authorities are doing. If the monetary authorities are being accommodative, you buy junk assets. If they're not being accommodative, you hold cash and buy value assets. That's just kind of simply where we've gotten. And that's an unfortunate thing because that means that markets aren't functioning as they should. And, and, you know, here's the interesting thing about this is that, you know, when you look at markets long term, you know, there was a steady trend to the growth of markets over time. And you're going back to 1900, right? You just take a look at, a, 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 at just a steady trend line of the growth. And yeah, markets got above that trend line to a degree or got below that trend line. And like a magnet, markets go back to that trend over time. The deviation from that long-term trend right now is greater than at any other point in previous history. I mean, it's just, you know, magnitudes higher. And the, and the elevation of the markets over the last, you know, 10, 12 years has been phenomenal due to just repeated monetary interventions and and you know what markets are missing is that and I should say what investors are missing longer term is that the price of markets are well ahead of what the economy can actually create in terms of earnings and there's going to be a catch up at some point and I don't know when that's going to be but that'll happen and markets will have to catch down to what the economy can actually generate in terms of earnings. So we'll see, but you know, that could be a decade from now, it could be next year, it could be never as far as we're concerned because we'll all be dead, right? But eventually those things have to to work themselves out and again the question becomes how long can central bankers continue to affect monetary policy that elevates asset prices well above what the economy can actually generate? And that's what we've gotten down to. Of course, this is what comes back to also these whole conversations about income inequality and wealth inequality. And, 
you know, capitalism sucks because 80% of Americans don't participate in capitalism, only the top 10%. You know, that's the, the issue. Because we've developed this capital market system because of all these interventions, et cetera, that have benefited the wealthy. And, you know, we are, it's, it's funny. There was a comedian on uh, talking about yesterday. He was talking about, you know, minorities in the country. And he's, he's saying, look, you know, there's lots of groups of minorities, whether it's LBGTQ or African-American, whatever it is. There's, there's these minorities in the country and those are being overlooked. And I need to speak up for one of the biggest minorities, which are white multimillionaires, which make up less than 1% of the country. And, you know, we need to have, you know, our rights accommodated. And that's, but see, that's, you know, that's the, that's, well, funny, it's, it's, you know, the problem is, is that we have generated this economic environment that has extracted capital from the middle and lower classes and transferred it to the white multimillionaires you know, at the top one, one-tenth of one percent. And, and, you know, when you take a look at that, that's what's happened over the course of the last 12 years. That wealth inequality has become a exacerbated structure within the overall markets because of these continued interventions that favor asset ownership, particularly real estate and equities, over working and saving and and this has created this this very disrupted capitalistic system that for all intents and purposes is now broken but it's not capitalism that's broken we've talked about that before it's corporatism that's become the problem and it's this continued monetary and fiscal intervention cycle without allowing the economy to reset itself through a normal economic recession. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time, and for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham, Thursday, September 15th at noon at Real Investment advice.com filling out the fafsa is vital for getting financial aid learn how register now at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show So as we we're talking about just for the break, um, you know, I, I understand that it, it gets confusing between these kind of short-term market cycles, market movements, right? Um, markets get overbought, they get oversold, they get overbought, they get oversold, back and forth. 
and we can certainly trade those. And, and again, as we kind of talked about yesterday, very close to triggering a buy signal uh, short term. Um, could give us a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks of an advance in the markets, and we'll have to see what goes from there. But, uh, you know, it's a tradable opportunity to pick up some assets and, you know, make a little money. Longer term becomes a little bit more challenging because of what the Fed's doing. And, you know, it's interesting because the markets are running up in advance of an expectation the Fed will pivot from their current monetary policy, right? So they'll stop hiking rates and they'll start reducing their balance sheet and, you know, things will go back to the way they were, right? Where we were, you know, driving markets higher. As we just talked about a second ago, that's that inner, that in those interventions, right? That accommodative monetary policy that everybody's now become so addicted to, you know, has a consequence, which is this economic wealth transfer from the bottom 90% of the population to the top 10%. And we see this through the fact that 90% of the stock market is owned by the top 10% of income earners. So, you know, if you're not in the top 10% of income earners, you probably don't have a lot of money invested in the stock market. So stock market can go to the moon. And it's not going to create economic prosperity or equality within the country. In fact, it's just going to make things worse, right? People are going to get more upset, right? Demands for more socialism, demands more calls for free stuff. And that's this, you know, problem that we have currently, why you're seeing this rise in, in socialistic trends in the economy, seeing a lot more People come out talking about, you know, we need to be more socialist. We need more equality. Because, again, so many Americans, and it's completely understandable, so many Americans are just simply devoid of any access to these opportunities. They can't afford to go buy rental properties. They they can't afford because, you know, we've run price, this all these monetary interventions and now institutions have just run the prices of homes through the roof so people can't afford to buy homes can't afford to get in the stock market stuff's too expensive and you know i'm just barely making ends meet as is and if i had if i have free cash flow which is going to try to pay off some debt right that's i don't have money left over to invest i'm barely you know putting money into a retirement plan if at all you know we go through those numbers all the time is that Take a look at, you know, one of the interesting phenomena of the market is people people think, in general, that everybody's contributing to a 401k plan. It's not the case. Out of all, you know, out of all employees, only about 50% of employees actually have access to a 401k plan. Out of those 50%, only about 50% actually contribute. So, out of the entire number of employees in the country, only about 25% actually contribute to a 401k plan. So, and, and, you know, every year Fidelity comes out with these numbers. They say, you know, our 401k plans, you know, increased by X amount. We have the record number of 401k millionaires. Sounds awesome. Until you do the math. And what do you find out about these record number of millionaires in 401k plans managed by Fidelity? It's about 1%. Of the total. What's the average balance in the 401k plans? About one year's salary for the average American. So 
as I said before, certainly doesn't suggest that the financial markets have created this vast amount of economic prosperity that is often get touted, right, in the financial media. You know, I love all these articles like on CNBC and stuff like this. You, you know, it's like, you know, how to, how, to, how to get rich in the stock market. You know, just pile your money into an S&P fund and forget about it. And it works fine and dandy while the markets are going up. But when you get into negative markets, as we said before, we do all kinds of bad things, right? Psychologically, we sell wrong, we buy wrong, we stop contributing, stop doing all the things we should do to build wealth. And it works in reverse. And then when you lose enough money, you just simply quit investing altogether and go do something else. And this has just been, you know, kind of the repeated process throughout history. And, and again, you know, after the 1974 crash, people left the markets and they didn't come back until 1990. Then after the dot-com crash, people left the markets, didn't come back. 2008, people didn't come back until 2020, right? I mean, so, you know, people leave the market for very long periods of time until eventually they, they, pain, they, they forget the pain of loss, and they venture back into the waters generally just about at the wrong time, right? Peak markets. And it happens all the time. So, you know, this is, you know, kind of the issue. And again, as I said before, is, you know, everybody right now, the market's, uh, you know, looking to open up this morning on hopes that a weaker CPI print will drive asset prices higher because that means the Fed's going to pivot. And again, the Fed will pivot at some point, and they'll start by slowing the pace of rate hikes. And then ultimately, they'll be talking about what to do with the balance sheet and whether or not they start cutting rates. And, and again, why, why would now this is where you've got to be thinking ahead here a little bit. So, yeah, we've got right now we've got this great opportunity for a market rally, but now let's think ahead a little bit. Fed's going to start cutting rates. Okay. Why is the Fed going to start cutting rates? Well, because inflation's going to start to slow down. Okay. Good. Getting to our target. If inflation is slowing down, that means consumption is slowing down, the economy is slowing down, and we're potentially talking about a recession, possibly, next year. Okay. Great. What does that mean for earnings? Earnings are going to have to come down because you have slower economic growth. Okay. Is the price of the market currently priced for lower rates of economic growth and lower earnings growth? That's a judgment call. Personally, I don't think so, but that's your judgment call. You can suggest what you think. Now the problem is, is the Fed's going to start cutting rates. Now, why would the Fed actually cut rates. Okay, well, history says the Fed cut rates when the economy is actually in a recession. When does the Fed do QE, right? When do we reverse from balance sheet tightening? The Fed's balance sheet's still near $9 trillion. They want to reduce that by as much as half. So if they're going to reduce their balance sheet, when are they going to start increasing it again? Well, they're going to start increasing the balance sheet when the economy and the markets are really in a tough spot, right? So now interest rates are back to zero. 
The economy's got to be in a fairly deep or at least a threatening a deep recession or potentially some type of financial calamity or unemployment is spiking through the roof. Now, any of those environments are not healthy for the stock market. So if the Fed's going to be cutting rates back to zero and doing QE, the environment for stocks is not going to be good. I mean, the Fed's not going to look if markets are rallying to all time highs, why would the Fed do QE? Markets are rallying to all-time highs and unemployment is remaining low and we just have slow economic growth, then why on earth would they cut rates? So the market seems to be, my opinion, seems to be getting well ahead of itself. But again, what the markets are having right now is a FOMO attack of the fear of missing out, not on the fear of missing out on the rally, but the fear of missing out that the Fed might pivot and, and go back to more accommodative stance. But I don't think the market's looking ahead far enough to suggest that the risk of what's been priced to what the reality might be has been actually fully factored in. We'll see. Again, markets can do a lot of things that you don't anticipate them to do. And this is something I noted in the newsletter this past weekend is, is talking about this very idea saying, you know, look, markets are rallying right now. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but markets are rallying right now in hopes the Fed's going to pivot. We have to trade the market for what it is, not what we wish it was. So if your outlook is more bearish and you're going, you know, I don't want to be invested in the markets. You know, there's all these fundamental factors, QE, everything you were just talking about, Lance. I just don't want to be in that, that environment. That's okay, right? Nothing wrong with that. And if we had the market that we wished the way that it was, markets would be going down. We'd be factoring all this stuff in and pushing the Fed to start becoming more accommodated. But that's not the case. The, what, we, what we have to do is trade the market for what it is. And right now, the market for what it is is showing off some bullish signs. The number We've had some fairly significant breadth days as of late. 90% uh, kind of upside buying power in, in the markets. It's bullish. Breaking above moving average is bullish. You know, MACD crossovers on, the, on a buy signal is bullish. I mean, there's lots of very short-term bullish signals. That's the market for what it is right now, and we need to pay attention to that. But it also doesn't mean we have to be fully invested either. We can trade the market for what it is, watch our signals, pay attention to what's going on, make some money when we can, and try to protect things against a future downturn. Okay, quick break. Be right back.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time, and for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. All right, welcome back to the show this morning. So uh, coming up here in just about 45 minutes is going to be the vaunted CPI report. Every, everybody's eyes on this whole report this morning. Uh, S&P futures up about 28 points at the moment. Dow's up about 204. We've had four straight up days in the market, uh, all in expectations of a lower CPI print. And, you know, this is going to be the, the big... The big call this morning, right, is, is what's going to be, you know, the issue, right? And so if CPI comes in too hot this morning, then, you know, that's not going to be good for stocks, right? That's going to mean the Fed's going to remain more aggressive. CPI comes in weaker than expected, that's going to be good for stocks, meaning that stocks may, you know, the Fed may be less aggressive. We'll see. Um, if you remember last month, the CPI month-over-month -month rate came in at 0.0%. It was flat on a month-over-month -month basis, which, you know, is interesting because it's just a, a function of, of that. Um, you know, so we'll see this. Today, they're expecting a negative 0.1%, so a, a slight decline in inflation. So we'll see how this kind of turns out this morning <clears throat> but you know as we kind of look at you know these different issues we'll um you know have to try to factor this into what the economy is actually doing and, and again you know expecting weaker inflation prints is not surprising there's a lot of reasons for that and that's because a commodity prices have come down so that's feeding into not just energy prices, lower gas prices at the pump, but also lower food prices, et cetera, kind of all working their way through the system. Now, home prices are coming down. That takes a little bit longer to feed in. That's a big chunk of the CPI calculation. And the, you know, the homeowner's equivalent rent makes up a very large portion of CPI. So that's going to eventually play its way into the CPI report as well. So inflation is going to come down. Inflation is going to down. And, and we talked about in June and July that, you know, this is probably the peak of inflation because of simply just the function of math. And we've talked about this before, is that just on a math basis, because we compare things on a month-over-month -month basis, where were we last month versus this month, where were we last year versus this year, this time? Those comparisons and the way we calculate CPI 
is simply just a function of math over time because as the as we start comparing against a 1.3% increase in July or June next year we're going to have a big drop in inflation on a year over year basis and that's just again it's a function of the math we had 5 trillion dollars worth of money injected into the economy that created a lot of artificial demand. You had a lack of supply that created, you know, a massive surge in, in, in prices. The liquidity is now gone and supply is back. So now you're going to have the reversion of that. So inflation will come down. That's not surprising. But as we've kind of harped on this morning a bit is, you know, has the market gotten, you know, well too far ahead of that decline in inflation. And and they look, you know, there's a lot of people right now suggesting that we're going to have, you know, a soft landing and it's all going to be just fine and and nothing to worry about. The the Fed's got this. Well, you know, it, that sounds great in theory, except for the fact that there's not been a recordable time in history where the Fed navigated a soft landing, right? Um you know, you've got analysts out there saying right now is that, well, China and Europe will navigate a soft landing in their economies and, and the Fed will do the same job here and they'll, and they'll do whatever it takes to support economic growth. Right now, they're not doing that, right? The Fed, uh, the ECB's hiking rates, the Fed's hiking rates, Bank of England's hiking rates are all trying to quell inflation. None of that's supportive of a stronger economy. There's no sign right now that they're going to reverse. Now, the market, now here's the problem for investing. The markets are going to start anticipating that turn. So if you wait for the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of England to start cutting rates, by the time that happens, you will have missed the rally in the market. See, this is the challenge. Here's the big challenge. Is the market too far ahead of itself or not? And we won't know until we can look back in hindsight and say, yep, markets nailed the bottom. You know, three months from now, the Fed and the ECB are cutting rates and doing QE to support the economy, and markets are going up. You're going, what the hell's going on here? But see, that's challenge. Maybe the market's just too far ahead of it right now, and there's another big kind of down leg in the market yet to come. That's possible, too. And we just don't know. And this is why, as, as, as we've kind of talked about this morning, you know, you've got to be a little bit careful with the markets here, but, you know, separate out short-term views versus long-term views because there's different periods of investing in the markets. I can be a short-term investor. I can be an intermediate-term investor. I can be a long-term investor. Those are all different strategies, but they can also all work together. Uh, this morning on the website, so if you're, if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, go by our website and, and uh, click on the newsletter link. Um, we've kind of revamped the homepage, make it easy for you to find stuff. If you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, scroll down, you can see you know, our latest videos right there. You can just kind of click on them. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll keep you updated every time we post a new, a new video. But right below that are all our free subscriptions, right? So our daily commentary, the Bull and Bear Report, which is our weekly newsletter, um, podcast. You can subscribe to all of that and, and keep up to date what's going on. But in our, in our newsletter, is where we update every week, you know, kind of what our positioning is in the markets, how we're trading it, what we're looking at, long-term frames, short-term frames. 
you know, we try to provide you a lot of market statistics and details so you can kind of make some better investment decisions for yourself. Um, but today's blog post, you know, as well is is uh, is up and we're talking about the deficit reduction. And, and it's interesting because just recently the Biden administration was out talking about that the def this is from President Joe Biden. The bottom line is the deficit went up every year under my predecessor before the pandemic and during the pandemic. That's true. It also went up during the Obama administration <laughs> and it went up during the Bush administration and it went up during the, you know, the, the Clinton administration. So, I mean, every administration has been adding to the debts and the deficits uh, for the last 40 years. So, you know, it's it. And now, but what Biden goes on to say is, is now gone down since I've been here, period. Right. And, and, and part of that is a true statement. But that's because we injected $5 trillion worth of liquidity into the markets, and that was all done through debt. So we had this massive spike in the deficit because of all those injections of liquidity. And now that that money is no longer being injected, the debt is reversing in terms of the deficit, right? Because we're not, we're just not issuing new debt anymore. So that is now reversing the deficit. But it's not because you're saving money or spending less. And it also doesn't revolve or resolve the issue that the five trillion dollars in stimulus we sent out was all created through debt. And that debt's still on the books. That five trillion in debt still has to be paid. So while it looks like you know, the deficit is being reduced. It's really not. It's just returning back to its normal trend growth of what we spend on an annual basis. See, there's a big difference between the deficit, which is the difference between what our income is and what our revenue is, sorry, what our income is and what our debt is, our expenditures are on a year-over-year -year basis. That's one thing. So if I had income of a trillion last year and had expenses of five trillion last year I had a deficit of four trillion dollars this year my income is one trillion and my spending is two trillion I'll have a deficit of a trillion so obviously the deficit reduced but it really didn't I'm just I'm just I'm not saving any money I'm still spending the same amount of money I just didn't have that excess expenditure of all the fiscal stimulus actually the spending of government on a normal basis outside of those stimulus paces is still increasing. We're still spending more every year. So, yes, the deficit appears to have been reduced, but A, the debt is still there, and B, we're still spending more. It just appears to have been reduced because of the extraction of those deficits, of, of the stimulus payments that fed into the deficit. So we kind of go into this, you know, this discussion this morning it's on our on our website and look at you know monetary supply versus debt and again what you really want to know it's not about the deficit it's about the debt right has the did you reduce the debt that's the question and that answer is clearly no you know we're just continuing to ramp up the amount of debt that we have in the economy which is also reducing what we call monetary velocity and that's how fast money moves through the economic system. And because we are having now slower economic growth, monetary velocity will decline. But that's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com.
get by the website and uh, you get our latest blog posts, newsletter, subscriptions, all there for you. Um, be sure and check it out. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Also, uh, send us your questions, comments, emails. I uh, get emails every day. Happy to answer them. So just simply click on the little box at the top, put in your question. And sometimes you have to give me more than a one-word question, right? Got one yesterday. Nice gentleman. Education. Have no idea what that means. A little bit more detail. Happy to answer your question. Let me know. Realinvestmentadvice.com. All right. Have a great day. Stick around. Three minutes of markets and money coming up here very shortly. And then, of course, 730 CPI and market opens at 830. And we'll tell you all about it tomorrow. Right on the next edition of The Real Investment Show. It's a rich man's world.